finding the perfect ingredients for your pizza takes time. I've seen guys wrestle over everything from flour and tomatoes to sausage and pepperoni, and of course, cheese. Selecting a cheese that'll perform the way your pizzeria needs it to is of utmost importance. Baccio cheese is an exceptional Italian pizza cheese made with a secret, a kiss of buffalo milk. Made with high-quality, grade-A milk, it goes from cow to cheese in just 48 hours. It melts, reheats beautifully, and stretches to give you those insta-worthy cheese pulls. Ronnie Kashoba is the co-owner of Crushed Pizzeria on Chicago's north side. They use the diced whole milk cheese for easy measuring. And Baccio melts smoother, and it's like creamier. We're using whole milk just because of the flavor. We feel like it's a richer flavor. It doesn't burn as fast as some of the other cheeses. It doesn't brown, it stays creamy. It's a great cheese. And that pizza is delicious. I posted some beautiful cheese pulls on my Instagram, really nice crust, great balance, cheese doesn't burn either. It works like a charm every time. Baccio has just the right amount of creamy richness you'd find in the best Italian melting cheeses. They guarantee quality and offer cash back for every pound of cheese you buy with their Baccio Gold Club program. So here's the deal, pizza pros. Schedule a demo to try Baccio cheese today at no cost. Just go to BaccioCheese.com slash PizzaCityUSA. That's BaccioCheese.com slash PizzaCityUSA to learn more about your new pizza cheese. Some of our classic pies coming out of a wood-burning oven, being in transit is not great. One of the things is, okay, what pies maybe don't you offer? Or what pies now do we offer only in the house? The same thing with the antipasti. There's some things that don't have the legs to travel. A child of New York City moves to Chicago for his education, but while he and his wife, an artist, live in Italy during the summers, he falls hard for the life force of Naples and its wood-fired pizzas. How a nice Jewish boy became the Neapolitan padrone of Chicago. The story behind Spacanopoli, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to another edition of Pizza City, everybody. Great to have you along with us again for a ride through the world of pizza. We are back in Chicago this week talking to Jonathan Goldsmith, uh, the padrone of Neapolitan pizza here in Chicago. Now, some of you remember about 10, 12 or so years ago, Neapolitan made a big impact in America, big resurgence around the country. Lots of chefs were doing uh, the wood-fired pies. Of course, Chris Bianco, probably one of the godfathers uh, down in Arizona, a New Yorker himself who had transplanted Arizona and Phoenix. Um, his place was really the Valhalla for wood-fired pizzas for, for many years because of his attention to detail. He's got a line of tomato sauces out now, by the way, uh, the, the Napoli uh, Bianco. Bianco di Napoli. Anyway, um, so Jonathan Goldsmith, as you'll hear today, uh, native New Yorker, grew up on New York Slices, um, came to Chicago by way of uh, St. Louis, was studying here at University of Chicago, and ended up going back and forth to Italy in the summers with his wife and child. And 
kind of made it his second home. A lot of guys get into the business, they, they work their way up in a pizza place, and then they kind of go off and, and take over their own or begin their own. But Jonathan really studied the old school way the, with the old masters, and he said they were very welcoming because he he made this commitment to, to make them part of his life and to, to honor their traditions. And so uh, that mutual respect paid off in spades because he he came back to Chicago one summer um, in about 2004 and decided to open Spockinopoly based on his memories of uh, the pizza that he had learned to make um, at the hands of masters in Naples. So it was really a revelation in Chicago at the time. You got to remember this is a you know it's a tavern style town with a deep and, and, and stuffed sprinkled in and not a lot of Neapolitan. There were a handful of people um, Nella Grisano, uh, she still has um, Pizzeria Nella in, uh, in Hyde Park, but there really weren't many people doing the, the traditional Neapolitan by the book, and that's really what, what stood out. Now, a lot of people in Chicago didn't, didn't love the wet middles. Jonathan admits they might have been a little bit too soupy because based on you know how he was baking the pies, and he's had to tweak the recipe over the years. I was not a fan at the very beginning. I did think it was a little bit too wet. Um, and soupy, but boy, he has really nailed it down over the last several years. He's been in business for about 15 years now, so he's had time to tweak it and get it right, and it really is a remarkable pizza. You you do owe it to yourself, if you're any kind of a pizza fan when you're in Chicago, to head up to Ravenswood and check out Spockinopoly. But we began the show today, as we begin all shows, talking about his first pizza memory, and if you hear, when you listen to my voice today, you might hear it a little bit muffled. That's because I'm wearing a mask. We had to do this inside. It was too noisy outside. So we did this inside. Um, I kept at arm's length uh, and wore a mask while I did the interview. But we did begin by talking about his first pizza memory. My strongest memory is maybe not Neapolitan, but Calabrese, uh, Albanese's on the Post Road in White Plains, New York. No, Eastchester, New York. And I have a very strong uh, memory uh, of their pizza. It was uh, very soft and foldable. If you picked up a slice, you had to fold in the tip, then you could crease it. There would be some oil that would drip down, a lovely oil drip down your chin, and then you would bite, and very lovely. And so how did you get into the pizza world? Uh, did you work in pizzas, pizzerias as a kid? No, uh, this is all new for me at the age of 50 or so is when I uh, entered this Mustadi. So what was your life pre-pizza then, in, up to your 50 years old? Uh, I grew up in Westchester outside of New York City, uh, lived in the city in my high school years. Um, family was very oriented to, to food, uh, it was something to be celebrated. Went to school in St. Louis uh, and came to Chicago for graduate school in social work. So my initial work was as a clinical social worker with adolescents. I came to Chicago to go to USC, School of Social Service Administration, uh, in 1978 and graduated in 1980. USC, you were a good student. Okay, so 1980, boy, pizza, the pizza landscape then, um, I mean, we'd had deep dish for about 30 plus years. We'd had stuffed pizza for about nine years at that point. But Chicago was really a tavern-style, square-cut, thin and crispy town. What were your memories of Chicago pizza when you moved here as a New Yorker? Not many. I think I was more into rib tips from the south side. 
How did you start to form this idea? I mean, I know you're going to Italy quite a bit, but how did you start to form this idea of opening a Neapolitan pizza place? Okay, I'll give you 20 years in two sentences. Uh, we, my wife's uh, Jenny Sykes is a painter, a fine artist, and uh, there was an opportunity in one moment. We both were in school in St. Louis, Washington University. She had the opportunity to enter into a competition open to faculty and alumni for uh, two and four month stays in Paris with a studio that the university had in Paris. Uh, Jenny had applied, entered this competition, and one particular year, maybe around 86, 87, when she entered, she received word that she was the alternate for a four-month stay in Paris. We were confident at that moment that that wouldn't happen, that the person who was going to go was going to go. And so we thought, you know what, let's just go on our own. Uh, and instead of going to Paris, let's go somewhere in Italy. We had been in Italy for our you know, honeymoon. My father worked in Italy. And so we ended up in 1988 in Florence. And there, Ginny was at an atelier, Cecil Graves, painting and studying. And I was a house husband. And that just began our relationship to Italy and continued. Uh, after returning in 91 to go back uh, for our summers in the south of Italy in the Puglia, Rodi Garganico. And uh, at one point in, in traveling uh, in the 90s over around, I don't know, 2001, actually 2001, 2003, uh, improviso, somebody on a flight in conversation by chance made a recommendation that I consider doing a pizzeria and my friends in Italy said pizza is good, go west, meaning going from Puglia to the uh, west coast of Italy to Naples and look at pizza and that's how it began. Sure enough that particular summer I returned home and went back to Naples and walked the streets uh, in the heart of Spaccanopoli to whether it was to Trianon or Di Matteo or you know all the pizzerias there. And it was just the excitement, the energy, just the process of waiting for your pie, the, the conversations between the makers. You know, there's, a, there's a life force, uh, which is true, in, I think, in, in many food types. You know, that there can be this wonderful energy behind this wonderful food product. So it's, it, it's, it goes beyond the pizza. And, and sure enough, when visiting Naples, you, you do experience that, that energy and that life force beyond the pizza itself that is so mesmerizing and engaging that I, that, that really, uh, an arrow went through my heart, this is what I'm gonna do. And then when we got home, I said I need to take a walk and I bought a ticket back to Italy with the idea that I'd go to Naples for four days, take you know, walk around and then I'd take advantage and then go back to the fishing village for five days and see our friends in September and then come back. So sure enough I did this trip and as you know, I had that arrow through my heart. So I came back and I said, Jenny, I'm going to open up a Neapolitan pizzeria. And she, what's Neapolitan pizza? I mean, and, and then sure enough, as I was just describing what I was thinking of doing, she thought I was nuts. And then sure enough, I uh, learned that uh, Greco and son carried Molino Caputo flour. I gave them a call. I actually had my first conversation was with Tony Yanone. And I just said, do you carry Caputo Blue? And he said, yes. So I drove out to Carroll Stream. Uh, I knocked on the door and they said, who's this Jewish guy from New York asking about Italian flour making Neap Neapolitan pizza in Chicago in 2004? 
luckily with my uh, not having a professional life uh, in terms of work at the moment, I had uh, a good deal of freedom. When we lived overseas, we had uh, some, we had three apartment buildings, so we were able to make do with the rents that we had, and that's how we uh, were able to live in Italy without my having worked there. In the free time that I had, over 18 months, I spent 10 months in Naples, going back and forth. And I stayed at the Hostel of the Sun on Via Mezelurgo or Melesurgo off of Via Colombo near, at the port. And that was just a, a 10 minute walking distance uh, to the heart of Naples to Spacanopoli. And, and these trips, whether they would be for 10 days or for three weeks or two weeks, they, whether it was to source the, um, you know, the furniture for the restaurant, the plates, whether it was just to continue to spend time at Di Matteo, where I spent a good deal of time, or with Enzo Cocha, who I trained with, I was always, I had the opportunity to do some homework, I think more so than a lot of people, and I had that opportunity for many years. I still have that opportunity, except for, like, for example, right now, my flight, September 17th, I just learned was canceled from United, that I continue to go over to do the study, to do this preparation, to understand. But it was a good two years between training and researching and building out the pizzeria. I think I, over the years, was seen as somebody who was part of the community, uh, who truly embraced who they were and the work that they were doing and that my wish was to not necessarily spread the gospel but to be respectful of the craft. It's not a competition, it's, it's really a true collaboration. The people are very willing to share because, for example, if you start working here with me, Steve, you know, if you were working here and I give you my method, it becomes your method, what you do and how you do things. So it's, it's a lot of people who are, are not going to be worried about sharing an idea because each person is going to take that work, that information, and make something that's their own. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're talking with Jonathan Goldsmith here at Spockinopoly. When we come back, we'll learn more about his process, uh, specifically the ingredients, and I want to ask him about the challenges of convincing a Chicago audience to understand and accept the Neapolitan form when we come back. Plus, we're going to preview some scenes from our next show coming up in two weeks, so stay with us. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Jonathan Goldsmith today, owner-proprietor of Spacanopoli here on the north side of Chicago. Um, you've been in business now for about 15 years or so, give or take? I think we're going, we'll be going to, into our 15th year, 2006. So, so what was it like when you first opened? You, like you said, you went back and forth to Italy, all this research, you built an oven here, you've got, you're getting all the right ingredients, you're importing, let's get the right flour. And the Chicagoans, I'm just guessing, the locals are puzzled with this style of pizza that is wet in the middle, that is soft on the cornicione, that is certainly, it's done quickly, it's 90 seconds or so, but it's a lot different than the pizza that they grew up on here in Chicago. What was that experience like for you? 
it was it's actually good. I mean, we definitely had, I, I do remember, I still remember the table, table number one that a man stood up. I think, I'm not sure if he was dining by himself. And then he stood up and announced to the room, this is the worst pizza I ever, I, I've ever had. <laughs> you know, I should have given him a box to stand on. Our community, the part is, is a number of people who travel overseas. And then we also had people, second generation Italians, uh, coming in from the Burbs, uh, who were responsive. Alessandro Motta was the uh, consul general for the, uh, the Italian consulate from Naples, and he came in every Sunday. So we, so in the beginning, there were some people who uh, truly were giving us a stamp of uh, approval. There's this good response, but every once in a while, I'll still see that somebody says this pizza is awful, and I think it's. You know, it's unfortunate they say that brothers say it's not my my gusto, it's not my style. But you know, I think there are people who still will come in today who are are not expecting or don't know what Neapolitan and. Um, well, so let's. I'm gonna you to explain. Let's break it down for me. So, for someone who's never had this style of pizza, doesn't isn't familiar with Neapolitan pizza, what is it? We're using flowers from Molino Caputo in Naples. That doesn't mean that you have to necessarily use Italian. Flowers, flour, water, salt, and yeast. Traditional would be uh, a wood-burning oven, which is now a big area of discussion right now. I mentioned Antonio Stadita, and I sent him a message, what do you think about the electric oven? Uh, because there's now a big battle between VPN and APN, VPN in endorsing uh, EATSO, one of the electric ovens, as, a, as being part of the Neapolitan fold. And then the other association saying, absolutely not, it has to come from a wood-burning oven. Yeah, these, by the way, VPN, APN, this is sort of like the, sort of like the kosher stamp of approval, if you will, of a, of a Neapolitan pizza, right? That it's adhering to the rules of, of Naples. Correct. One, I think, is more focused on the pizza maker. And then the other one is more, I think, the VPN is more in terms of the pizzeria as a whole. Uh, where the APN is actually more focused on the individual pizza makers. So there's a big discussion about whether wood or electric oven. We have two wood ovens. We actually are thinking of uh, introducing electric oven just to, uh, if, if as we pivot, uh, to figure out whether or not the electric oven would be good for gluten-free, whether it actually would be better for the pizzas at Trasporto, the ones that were going out the door, because you know our pizza is always dying as soon as it comes out of the oven, as Chris Bianco would would say so flour water salt and yeast we uh the direct the vpn would say direct method you wouldn't be using a biga you wouldn't be using a poolish you wouldn't be using a lievito madre as it would you know whether it's fresh baker's yeast and then there's a great deal of variation you know for that for example we have a wonderful pie which i'm happy to say is not neapolitan the eduardo that does use a biga it has kia and quinoa and quinoa and cracked wheat etc to do something particular stretch by hand so the dough should be, we're actually around 260 to 270, whether VPN would say 230 grams to 250 grams, whether you put the basil before the, you know, the in the oven or after the oven, olive oil, etc., there, there, there are some nuances to that. Uh, the bake time should be 60 to 90 seconds. For me, G-spot is 70 seconds. The notion of sort of less is more, that, you know, one of my wonderful catering uh, culinary friends here, when was first doing the pieces, he says not every slice has, no, not every part of the pie has cheese on it. And I think that's part of it. You know, it's, I think it's more of a marriage. It's a, it's a, 
the balance but how ingredients work uh, together. We don't throw the pie in the air, which can be a lovely show. This notion of quiet hands, they're very gentle with the dough. You spend so much time in the mix and, and letting it rise. We usually try to do, we actually have three or four different uh, uh, procedures with our, our dough, depending where, where we are in the course of the week and what the, the weather would be. But typical mixes with the caputo red and blue, and we use a little bit of tipo uno, uh, which gives a little bit of flavor, as they think, maybe from 40 years ago. It's a little less refined. We let it rest uh, on, on the bank for, uh, if we can, ideal four hours. We cut it and, and measure it out, and then we would leave it in that dough room for maybe another six hours. Then at that point, after the six hours, because it needs to sort of do its thing, it, uh, then we will then move it to our wine room, which is a constant temperature of 18 Celsius, around 64 degrees, I believe, and that's where we hold it. So that's, and then we have another mix we do in the afternoon that will roll at the end of the evening that we just bring upstairs and leave that at ambient temperature. Does the cheese have to be this Fior de Latte imported from Italy? Does the sauce have to be tomatoes that came from near Mount Vesuvius? I mean, how strict do you have to be on cheese and sauce? I'd have to review the, you know, the, the ordinances of the VPN to say. But like, what do you do? What I, do, you do? For us, I, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have pizzas where we, from Livingston County in Illinois, we definitely will use product uh, that's local uh, and maybe uh, better and it makes sense to do it to definitely take advantage of that during the summer time where we have everything so fresh, whether it's tomatoes, squash, blossoms, blossoms, tropea, onions, etc. And I won't be concerned about whether VPN or APN tells me I shouldn't use something if it's in the service of making the better pizza. What about the, the cow versus a buffalo? It's constant discussion. Uh, I am really happy and willing to pay twice as much for the Fior de Latte or the La Michela, the mix that we bring in from Mima La Vecchia, from Avignano, outside of Naples, in Caserta. And the, this cheese is roughly 80-85% uh, latte di vaca, cow's milk, and the rest is bufala. And the idea behind that is that you have this, this uh, un bel ascito, this wonderful acidity of the bufala mozzarella uh, in this cheese, in this mozzarella, Though, you know, also, uh, we still call it mozzarella. Fior de latte is with cow's milk. Mozzarella is usually de bufala. But with having the pr it, it primarily fior de latte, it's, a, it's drier. And, and I think uh, I do like soupy pies. It is not the, the taste or the culture that we have here. One time Roberto Caparuscio actually pointed out to me, you know, the, it may not be that your pie is soupy, it's just that you're not baking your pie well, because if you're not, you know, the hardest job in the pizzeria is the fornaia, the one who's, who's working the oven, and then the rest of the bank being in synchronicity with the, the fornaia, the one baking the pizza. And so part of our wetness could have been for a number of years that we really didn't have a handle on the baking process with the pie. A little bit of soup is nice, but you know, you'll go to a pizzeria and, and you know, you go to our pizzeria, we, you know, if you have a bufala with just bufala mozzarella, there could be more moisture to it. But if you have a prosciutto rucola with smoked mozzarella, that's as dry a pie as you can have. So, you know, in the same pizzeria. So one of the things is to be careful is that you don't just focus on the one pie that is being presented that's being critiqued because it's wet, because there may be several pies depending on the cheeses. That being said, I'm very happy not to put a pie on the table 
And as I'm putting down, seeing it you know, rock back and forth as if the C is going from one side to the other within the cornichone of the pie. Also because that if it's that wet, I know it's not going to transport well if it was a to-go pie, as well if somebody is taking their time eating their pizza and not doing a portfolio and folding it, that it just drenches the, the dough itself, and that's not great. But we have this simple, wonderful Italian tomato from, that is coming from Campania, from Lino Cutolo, and we just we open up the, the tin can, and we do it through a hand mill, and we add salt. And that's it. I know during this pandemic, you've had a lot of stuff to go and carry out curbside. And this pizza is not meant for traveling. This pizza is meant for eating almost immediately when out of the oven. How does that make you feel inside as this sort of master pizzaiolo who's mastered your craft over 15, 20 years to see these pizzas go out the door and to know that when they get home in 10 or 15 minutes, it's not going to be what it should be. It's, it's, that's a great question. And it's, um, it's like Bob Dylan, you know, pulling out the electric guitar at Newport. I did send this message to do Antonio. I said, what do you think about electric oven? Because I heard he had some very strong words counter. And he says, electric ovens make wonderful pizza, but they're not Neapolitan. As our world changed in March, the electric oven would actually be better for our pie in, in the service of to-go, because well, you know the pie, we text people as soon as the, the pizza comes out and people will come, but there still can be 15 minutes there, and then there could be 15 minutes. Better that they pick up the pie and they eat it in their car, you know, almost right at the table, so to speak. And when I would ever go check out new pizzerias uh, in the early years when I was always anxious about somebody else coming into town, I'd go in, I'd get a pie, and then I'd sit on my car, you know, or a fire hydrant, eat the pizza right away. So this pie traveling, our classic, some of our classic pies coming out of a wood-burning oven, being in transit is not great. And so one of the things is, okay, what, how, what pies maybe don't you offer? or what pies now do we offer only in the house? The same thing with the antipasti. There's some things that don't have the legs to travel. I can't handle a pie coming out of the oven, sitting in a box, and, and it's sitting there for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I say, look, you've got to come in to place your order. And if you have to wait 15 minutes, I've been waiting 24 hours to, that, to actually work with that dough, pazienza. So this is, how, you know, this is what we need to do. Tony, one of the things that Tony Gemiani said, people understand. And if we, the pizzas that we do for to-go are only dedicated to the electric oven, that the nuances of that beautiful, soft, wonderful chew, maybe that, you know, you asked about the Neapolitan before, what I look for. With the first bite, there's a little bit of resistance. Maybe you, you don't hear the crunch in your ear that shouldn't, may scare you the first time with a Sicilian, but there may be a little bit of resistance. Then for me, it's, it's truly a wonderful, soft, chew as well as all the flavor nuances that the pie would have. Okay, final question. We ask all of our guests on the show, uh, knowing what you know now about pizza making, which is quite a bit, because uh, you certainly teach classes I see at the Pizza Expo all over the place, you're constantly educating and learning more about this process. What would you have told yourself 20 years ago? What kind of advice would you have given yourself before you did this? Well, business-wise, your big decisions to really be careful. And, and take the time and to meditate. Um, you know, that's, I think, really significant. So, you know, I think I fell into um, some situations that uh, if I would have been more mindful, uh, would have um, 
would have been my interest. Do small tests. <laughs> you know, this, sometimes I would get so excited when somebody would say, oh, uh, start doing a, a bee gun, you know, keep it running for seven days, and on the eighth day, you know, make your round. And so sure enough, I would do that, and I, my whole day's dough for lunch and dinner is based on this thing that I've never really tested. So do small tests of something. Don't get caught with your pants down, opening the door and realizing that you can't sell your pizza because it's no good. If there was to be a Neapolitan pizza padrone in Chicago, it would be Jonathan Goldsmith, uh, again, proprietor, owner, founder of Spacanopoli here in Chicago. If you haven't been to his pizzeria, next time you're in Chicago, please pay him a visit, but just please, do him a favor and do not take it to go. Eat the pizza when it comes out of the oven. You'll make him a happier man. Jonathan Goldsmith, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Steve. Pleasure. All right, coming up in two weeks, our final show from our San Francisco series with one of the guys who put Neapolitan on the map there and is now working on a completely different style of pizza. And so here we wanted a product that started with craveability for me, um, but then length of time, you know, how long it sits in a, in a, in a box and, and can we deliver and uh, can we get into people's homes as well as getting them into the restaurant. Thomas McNaughton is the executive chef of Flour and Water, Central Kitchen and Salumeria in San Francisco, but at Flour and Water Pizzeria, it's all about long fermentation and artisan-worthy crusts. My conversation with Chef McNaughton in two weeks on September 11th. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please rate us. I would love to know what you like or dislike about the show. We're at Pizza City USA on Instagram and our website is PizzaCityUSA.com. We are back up and running our weekly tours, four every weekend now, three by foot, uh, one by bus. We added a Friday night abbreviated tour, a little bit less expensive. Check them out at PizzaCityUSA.com. Sign up to be on our mailing list over at my website. That's Steve Dolinsky with a Y.com. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. And just a reminder, stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Keep social distancing. Please wear masks. And please keep ordering pizzas and keep your favorites afloat during the pandemic. Thanks for listening, everybody. And here's wishing you an optimal bite ratio, always. <laughs>